This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. WBBM News Time, 12.03. It's great to have you with us for the Thursday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Cotto. The Noon Business Hour is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. In our next segment, Greg Hines of Crane's Chicago Business is going to join us. A Chicago casino is a step closer to being a reality. Right now, the report on sales of existing homes is out. Along with, Let's begin with home sales. What's going on there? Uh, well, there, there's some weakening, uh, as you probably expect. Uh, mortgage rates have uh, moved up. Uh, the average more 30-year mortgage rate uh, for this period moved up to uh, 3.08%, up above 3% uh, for the first time since June of 2020. Um, it's a uh, you know, about a 25 basis point. That's a quarter of a percentage point move month to month. And uh, it still shows, you know, 30-year rates uh, lower year over year, but you know, the trend of rates is clear, and, of course, the higher home prices are, and home prices keep climbing, and the higher mortgage rates are at the same time, the less affordable homes become. And this is, uh, you know, this is a tough calculation. Uh, in addition, you have problems with supply in this market. Um, so you put those two things together, and you've got weaker sales. And we're seeing, I mean, in a lot of Chicago area neighborhoods, uh, houses that are in bidding wars because the supply is just so short. The only way around that is for more people to decide to sell, right? Well, that's right. I mean, this is the interesting thing that makes the existing home sales report so different from the new home sales. For a new home, somebody has to make a start and finish it and put it on the market. But for every single house you see is potentially an existing home that could be for sale. So you would think that the supply of homes for sale could increase with great elasticity as as the demand went up. But people, you know, aren't just selling their house for profit. They realize that if they sell their house, they're going to have to buy another one. And so you kind of have to wait for the life cycle thing to work its way through for people to get too old for their house and to move to a co-op or, you know, to, to vote for some other uh, change in life before a house goes on the market. When it comes to mortgage rates, too, they're, they've, they're climbing still really low historically, but it's tough to tell that to people who saw them even lower not long ago. Yeah, it does create sticker shock. You know, when you take a look at it, uh, you, you can go to any web and you can any website that, that, that does mortgage calculations and, and just play around with numbers yourself. You know, just take your salary and take a house that you're looking at and start changing the mortgage rate and see what it does to your payments and to the affordability. I mean, you can school yourself pretty quickly on how much this is going to have an impact on you and decide whether it makes sense for you to pay up for a house now or to wait and maybe get a better price later on, but make a housing payment that's higher because mortgage rates have risen. Let's talk about jobless claims briefly here. Seems like the labor market uh, is starting to rebound here. What are you thinking? Well, yeah, you know, it's been rebounding. Of course, we're looking at now the lowest uh, weekly jobless claims we've had since we had that surge, but then that was a jump. And so that takes us back to this sort of 
almost a discontinuity in the series. If you look at the insured rate of unemployment, what's interesting is uh, that's a statistic that lags by a week. And in and, and the previous week, that is 2.6%. And the week before, it was 27 The week before that, it was 26 So the insured unemployment rate is, is kind of stuck here, even though claims themselves are going down. So there is progress in the labor market, but it's still not so clear how much it's accelerated I think it's something we have to watch. It's, we're going to reach a point, I think, where it's going to be hard to continue to make this kind of progress because we're going to start digging into people who don't want to go back to work because they're paid well enough to continue to receive their unemployment benefits. Thanks so much, Bob Bruska, Chief Economist at Fact and Opinion Economics. Just ahead, Greg Hines, Crane's Chicago Business, joins us. Proposals are now being accepted for a casino in Chicago. The city of Chicago is now formally seeking someone to operate its new casino. We welcome Greg Hines, columnist at Crane's Chicago Business. Uh, Greg, this seems like progress for people who want a casino here. Well, it is. The question is, is it realistic to expect it to move as fast as it is? Uh, what the city did, Cisco, is they uh, released a, a formal process called refer- Request for Proposals, uh, inviting developers to come in uh, and uh, and pitch their idea. Uh, they want all the proposals in by August. Uh, they want to uh, ne- uh, select a, uh, a winner by the end of the year, and they want uh, a final agreement uh, hammered down with uh, with uh, signatures on a contract uh, early next year. Then they want the whole thing up and running uh, by next year, perhaps with a uh, temporary casino to come up first. And does that have to do, uh, you know, the rush? Because there, there's a lot of money on the table here. Well, this is the city for a while. This actually stretches back to Rahm Emanuel's days. The city has viewed the casino as a uh, a big pot of money, maybe a couple hundred million dollars a year when everything gets counted. That would would go to uh, the police and fire pension funds, which are which are dramatically underfunded, and the city really doesn't have any way to to fund them uh, except property taxes, which are very unpopular. The city doesn't want to do this, so this is the alternate. So the sooner the better from the city's perspective. Uh, but the, like I said at the beginning, though, the question is, you know, with COVID still going on, uh, some people have pulled out of Las Vegas because they have doubts about the long-term longevity of in-person betting as opposed to electronic. I mean, you can go on your phone now and, and bet on sports games and stuff like that. How viable is it really to expect a, a big developer to come presumably to downtown Chicago and plunk down the six or seven hundred million dollars and build a big palace? We're going to find out. Yeah, and when it comes to the, you know, not only do they have to pay up front the money to build it, they have to know that they're going to be able to make a profit over the long run. Yeah, um, there was a lot of back and forth on that. Uh, some of your listeners may recall that the, the initial version of the uh, of uh, allowing Chicago to build a casino uh, passed by the legislature uh, demanded such high rates that uh, a consultant said it's not feasible. No, nobody could possibly make a money. So Lightfoot requested general something, went back and rewrote it, uh, knocked down some of those rates uh, to something that now appears to be perhaps competitive. Uh, now, I noticed that in the, uh, the city's press release, they said that the winning bidder will get to propose, quote, its optimal site for the project. Uh, it's kind of interesting because where the project actually lands has been one of the things that's been debated. Yeah, there's a, there's a school of thought out there that, uh, gee, let's put this out in a neighborhood somewhere that uh, needs investment and create some jobs away from the central area. 
Uh, but uh, a lot of people in the casino business say, hey, if you really want to maximize your money in the city, clearly wants to maximize its money here. They've said that. They've admitted that in the new papers they filed yesterday. It needs to be where people want to go. And where people want to go isn't they don't want to have to uh, get in a, pl- a train or a truck and go out, to, out to somewhere on the south side or something. Uh, uh, the real market here is is visitors, it's conventioneers, it's people staying in hotels, it's tourists, give them one more reason to come to Chicago. Well, they want something that's close, which argues for central area. Well, especially tourists, too, right? Because you want as much money coming into that casino from outside of Chicago as opposed to people who live here. Yeah, it's a, you know it's a balancing act, and, and uh, the mayor uh, keeps saying that she's going to consult with community groups and have lots of buying and whatever. But my suspicion is, in the end, that money is going to win this one because the city really needs the dough, and it, there's every indication that the dough is mostly downtown. That's the big draw. Thanks Someone so much. Out there, yeah, we'll we'll see. It's you're right. It's fascinating to see how quickly all of a sudden they they expect it to move. We'll see if it happens. Greg Hines, columnist, Cranes Chicago Business. Up next, airlines are ramping up their schedules. Passengers now are returning to the skies. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Airlines are reporting stronger bookings as more people are vaccinated against COVID and choose to travel. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus Business Line, Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services, Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul. Uh, Joe, tell us here, American and Southwest, at least in the near future, it's looking like things are getting better. Well, it's been quite a day for airline news, and we had two big reports today. One, Southwest actually eked out a profit. It took some federal aid to make that happen, but that's really a pretty astounding thing, given where we are when the uh, the first quarter began. So they had a small profit. American had a bigger loss, and their uh, stock down a bit because of, of that. But that said, you know, the last two weeks have been really encouraging. So it's uh, overall a pretty good report today. And when it comes to them getting people back in the seats, I mean, that's what they need in order to rebound. They got a lot of money from the federal government initially, but there's obviously not more of that coming. It did. And most of that money was for payroll protection, but that some of that did flow the bottom line. I think the big story we're hearing now is pleasure travel for the summer looks really good. Oil prices are up just a bit. Uh, you know, but that, that business travel market, American and United both warned that until that business travel comes back, you know, it's going to be hard to move uh, that bottom line in the profit column. Uh, that said, you know, fares are uh, uh, inching up and people are still biting, and that's uh, going to lead to a fairly good pleasure revenue picture, really, uh, we think, through summer. Yeah, and does that pleasure revenue picture for some of the, the uh, whether you call them legacy airlines or what have you, American United Airlines like that, uh, does that travel, the, the pleasure travel, does that in any way replace the business travel? Because it seems like it's going to be a while before that comes back. Yeah, really the big three uh, legacy carriers, American, Delta, and United, are, are in a tough spot because they're, the whole business model relies on you know, frequent service, smaller planes in some cases, business markets, and that's uh, where the weakness is going to prevail. Southwest is a little less dependent on that, but, you know, surprisingly, some of the smaller carriers we thought really may have a tough time even surviving the pandemic, like Frontier and Spirit, are sitting pretty good now because they're almost wholly dependent on leisure, leisure markets, warm weather destinations, and that's hot right now. Will there be pressure on prices? Yeah, there's a lot of people who want to get back to it, but not as many as usual. And so these airlines, I mean, it's it's really hot competition. It is. And, uh, you know, I've been looking at fares, expecting uh, big-time increases. We haven't really seen that yet. I think people are still uh, 
uh, used to the low fares, expecting bargains, and even through summer, the fares look pretty attractive. You know, but we're not going to see the, the crazy low fares, the $49 Chicago LA fares that we saw a few months ago. Uh, and we're seeing now, you know, the weekend fares are tending to pick up. But midweek, there's still some pretty nice bargains out there. Thanks so much, Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services, Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul. Still ahead, Technology Thursday, electric truck maker Nikola makes a move into hydrogen fuel. This is Chicago's all-news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Cotto. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. President Biden sets ambitious goals to reduce greenhouse gases, both domestically and globally. The shutdown of the Ford plant on Chicago's south side has been extended. It's Technology Thursday. Electric truck manufacturer Nikola announces plans for hydrogen fueling stations. These will be at truck stops in California with an eye on a national network. There's some concern that the stock market could be topping out. We'll get the perspective of a longtime analyst. On Wall Street, the Dow down 194, the NASDAQ is down 36, and the S&P down 17 points. Oil is flat today. We have sunshine right now, 50 degrees, heading up to a high of 57. President Biden spent the first part of this Earth Day telling counterparts from all over the globe that they have to work together to slow the warming of the planet. The stated goal of world leaders is to see through a transition that would have countries netting zero carbon emissions by 2050. President Biden now pledges a particularly ambitious goal for the U.S., cutting its emissions in half from a 2005 baseline by the end of this decade. The president aimed to use this summit to convince some of the world's major emitters, namely China, India, and Russia, to follow his administration's lead. Time is short, but I believe we can do this. And I believe that we will do this. Stephen Portnoy, CBS News, Washington. Ford's Chicago assembly plant at 126th and Torrance will remain closed through the week of May 10th. It's because of the impact of a global computer chip shortage. The automaker has also extended closures at four other U.S. factories. A spokesman for the United Auto Workers Union says members get 75 to 80 percent of pay during such temporary shutdowns. About 5,800 people at the facility build the Ford Explorer, Lincoln Aviator, and Police Interceptor SUV. It's 1232. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The Noon Business Hour is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. Markets are down right now. The Dow down 210. The Nasdaq down 43. The S&P down 18 points. Susan Schmidt is joining us, head of U.S. equities at Aviva Investors. Uh, Susan, what, what do you make of what you're seeing here? They were kind of along the flat line most of the day and now dipping a little bit. Dipping just a little bit, still only about half a percent. And we're going to see that fluctuation back and forth. Remember that we're in earnings season. Companies are coming out talking about their earnings, how they fared in the last quarter, and importantly, giving some guidance on how they see the rest of the year developing. The market is really responding to that, trying to gather as much data as they can, trying to figure out when we return to true normalcy in the economy and when things are fully back on track. And when it comes to uh, you know earnings season, as you mentioned, people are watching and trying to decide whether they believe certain companies are a good long-term bet before they put more money in them. 
That's absolutely right. We saw that last year when we saw such strong performance by the NASDAQ that really led the three indices by quite a bit throughout the year, where people had confidence in those big tech companies because they could see the future for them. Now that we're closer to that reopening, people are going back and looking at the more cyclical industries, the smaller companies, recognizing that they're going to bounce back. They'll benefit from an economy as well. And how does that value out between what you're paying for, say, the larger tech company versus what you pay for the smaller business? So is some of this, you mentioned that it's earnings season, and so maybe that's some of what's been going on here over the last week. Uh, is there a sense, though, in which a lot of the money that was flowing into the market, especially you know the stimulus money that we've talked about, where people were just going, I don't know what to do with this, so I'll put it in the markets. Uh, is there a sense that that flow of money has stopped, and that's maybe why we haven't seen the growth here recently that we were seeing? I don't think so, and I think that people did invest in the market, certainly, and some of that stimulus money went into the markets and probably earned a good return for people. But I think now what we're really seeing is that wait and see. Investors are really in a back and forth, push and pull idea of reopening, getting very excited about that, and then seeing global cases of the coronavirus still on the rise and wondering what impact that might have on the global economy. Right now, I think we're seeing steady flows into the market. Investors are really watching for news. It is a crystal ball. Everyone's trying to predict the future, particularly when you're trying to come out of a pandemic. The fact that these markets are intertwined, I think it's probably a good reminder here. Help us with that because a lot of people look around and they go, oh, hey, here in the Chicago area, things are getting back open. Restaurants are seeing customers. You know, pe- People are back outside. They don't understand that in places like Brazil and India, there are still big COVID problems. That's right. And regional differences are important here, especially when you have larger companies that have an international market. We are seeing companies here in Chicagoland, things feel good. We've got sunshine, spring is here. We know that we can go out to restaurants now. We're feeling pretty good about things. That's really the opposite when you go over and look at Europe. France, people are shut down. They can't go out. They're asked to stay inside. They're at a very different point of development than we are. And I think that does impact the global economy. Right now, the U.S. is leading the way, and I expect that to continue. We're ahead of everyone on vaccinations. We're doing really well. But that's That dynamic can change, and it's important when you have a business that faces the world, not just the Chicago market. That tech sector has been one that's just been red hot for so long. What do you expect there in the near future? Do you expect that to continue? Tech is an interesting area. It was such a big winner last year, and we've seen that. But we also saw at the end of last year people starting to move out of tech, reallocate into, as I said, those cyclical businesses, other types of business models. And I think we've continued to see that as we went through the first quarter. Now we're starting to see some balancing out. People want to have a diversity of business models in their portfolio. They don't want to be all tech. And you still see some of that waiting. Tech, which outperformed last year, is behind in performance this year with the Dow and S&P leading at 11% or so up year to date and the NASDAQ, that tech heavy index only up 8%. Thanks so much for all the analysis. Really good stuff. That's Susan Schmidt, head of U.S. equities at Aviva Investors here in Chicago. Just ahead, Technology Thursday, an electric truck manufacturer takes a dip into hydrogen fueling stations. 
Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Technology Thursday on the Noon Business Hour. Electric truck maker Nikola plans a limited collaboration for hydrogen fueling stations with Travel Centers of America. Joining us to talk about it on the McGrath Lexus Business Line, John McElroy, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv based in Detroit. John, always good to get your insight here. So what is Nikola announcing? Well, it's putting its plan in place here of developing trucking routes in the southwest United States where trucks will run on hydrogen, not with batteries, not with gasoline or diesel, but with hydrogen. And uh, apparently the market likes it because their stock is up nearly 15% on the news. Yeah, watching it today, the stock really did climb it. It's, it's kind of hovered there, too, throughout the day. Uh, help us to understand the difference in a gasoline-powered or diesel-powered truck and a hydrogen-powered truck. I mean, I'm not getting too technical here, but is it a completely different engine, sound? How does this work? Yeah, it's really interesting. Hydrogen is got... Uh, a lot of electrons in it, and you push it through a hydrogen fuel stack, that's what they call it, and it strips out those electrons. Well, what are a bunch of electrons? That's electricity. So instead of having a battery where you store a bunch of electricity in it and then use that juice out of the battery, what a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle does is uses hydrogen to strip out electrons and, and run electric motors. Uh, you know, versus a combustion engine that uses diesel or gasoline that it burns and, and turns that into power. How and long? The, oh, no, yeah, go ahead. Please continue, please. I, uh, the, the beauty of hydrogen, there's a lot of problems, too, but the beauty of it is you can refuel the tank, fill up the tank in about the same time it takes to fill up a gas tank or a diesel tank. So instead of waiting around, waiting for batteries to charge up, you're on your way in about the same time as it would take to refuel a gas or diesel engine. Yeah, that was one of my questions. I'm glad you said that because that, you know, for people who are afraid of moving to the battery power because they don't want to have to wait too long. I mean, it's certainly nicer. Yet you mentioned there are some potential drawbacks to hydrogen. Well, there's a number. I mean, right now, where do you get your hydrogen? I mean, I can tell you where to plug in. I can tell you where to get gas or diesel. I, I couldn't tell you where to go get hydrogen. So a whole new infrastructure has got to be built up. What Nikola has done is said, though, hey, look, we just need hydrogen fueling stations on certain truck routes. And, and it's easy enough for us to be able to make sure that there's always hydrogen available at those filling stations. And by concentrating just on truck routes and, and to begin with in the southwest United States, it's got a business plan that obviously the stock market likes and and has interested a bunch of other people, too. Given the rush to electric vehicles, battery-powered vehicles, uh, is it too late for Nikola really to gain any market share, or, or do you get a sense that especially truckers want this? Well, you know, we'll see what the market says, Cisco. But, you know, if you're going to make a, a semi-truck that runs on battery power, yowza, the batteries have got to be massive. They're really heavy. They're really expensive. They take time to recharge. So a lot of thinking in the commercial trucking industry is as we go forward and need to emit less carbon dioxide, hydrogen might be a better solution than battery electric vehicles. And so, like I said, there's an issue with infrastructure, but Nikola has said, no, we're just going to take little bites at a time and just do it on truck routes. 
Thanks so much. Really fascinating. That is John McElroy, automotive industry analyst, host of Autoline.tv. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. There could be a pending stock market top. There may be some signals of that. Let's find out about it. Mark Hulbert is here, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com. Mark, a lot of people have been waiting for another breakthrough in this market. What do you think is going on? Well, yeah, a very big armchair exercise. A lot of people have been playing it is to try to imagine whether we're playing out a script, sort of like what we saw at the top of the Internet bubble, and they see a bubble perhaps breaking any minute now and so forth. And, of course, they've been saying that for a number of months, and no one really knows. But one of the interesting aspects, I went back and looked at, uh, you know, we tracked several hundred different investment newsletters. We went back and looked at what they were saying prior to the break in 2000. And interestingly enough, everyone at the time acknowledged, even if they were still in the market, they acknowledged that valuations were ridiculous and that it was getting way too speculative. And yes, a bubble was forming. And that's one of the fascinating things about this is that you, uh, a lot of people think that a bubble only forms when people are oblivious to the possibility. But in fact, it goes along with bubble psychology that people recognize that it may be a bubble, but they still play anyway. Yeah, and it's fascinating, isn't it? Because you you know that there's a train wreck coming, and yet you don't get out of the way. Right, and I think the implicit assumption, that's exactly what right what you point out. I think the implicit assumption is that we will know it when it does finally uh, come to an end, like when the train is about to hit us, and we can jump out of the way. But, of course, by definition, not everyone can be the first one to jump out of the way. We can't all be the first to leave the party. And uh, as we're seeing today, as you pointed out in the intro, the market was flat today, and all of a sudden it's down 300 points. A saying on Wall Street that I, I think is uh, contains a lot of wisdom is that risk happens fast, and when it does happen, it doesn't. Uh, we're, we probably won't recognize it, but even if we do, we're going to be unable to get out in time. Yeah, and so then, what is an investor to do? Do you, do you pull a little bit of money out right now in anticipation of a drop? I think that's not a bad idea. So, you know, on the way into the market, people talk about dollar cost averaging, which is a way of dividing up your assets and putting it into the market in regular intervals, which is a way of reducing your risk that you may be putting the market in uh, at, uh, at the wrong time. I think just the reverse, dollar cost averaging on the way out. You take a little money out uh, every time, uh, you know, you can do it on a monthly basis or you can have some other algorithm, let's say whenever your portfolio gets above a certain threshold, whatever it is. Start taking a little bit out so that uh, you're not trying to bet the exact day of the top because we all know that we'll never be able to do it exactly right. Yeah, and that's what a lot of people try, right? They, they try to go, oh, I think, uh, I think today is when it's going to tumble, and that never really works out. That's right. Yeah, no, in fact, I don't know. I, we've been tracking newsletters for over 40 years. They all try to predict the exact day of the top, and no one does it consistently. Even if they do now and then get one right, they don't necessarily get it right any other time. Thanks so much for being with us. Mark Hulbert, he's an investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.